Visiting a city maybe for the second time and don't want to visit the same tourist traps? Check out Top Dog Tours. We have lots of different options for walking tours of neighborhoods and attractions that everybody will love. We are in Boston, Philadelphia, Toronto, and New York City. You can visit us at topdogtours.com and check us out on social media for offers and discounts. This is Nicole Kelly, and this is Shebrew in the City. So first off, I just wanted to apologize that this episode has taken a little bit longer to go live. One of our dogs unfortunately passed away around the time that we were set to record this, so we weren't really in the headspace to kind of delve into uh, Walt Disney and anti-Semitism. We wanted to kind of mourn together. So I apologize for that. And I wanted to dedicate this episode to our dachshund, George, who was a foster fail and who we loved dearly. Yeah, George was the happiest dachshund you would ever meet. He was just always wanted love and will be sorely missed. So kind of pivoting, let's talk about Walt Disney. Walt Disney. Walt Disney. So the idea for this episode actually came about because we were watching an episode of Family Guy where they made a joke about going to a place that Walt Disney built. And Lois goes, no, it's a place that Walt Disney loves. And they were at Auschwitz. And in usual Family Guy fashion, it was very offensive, but also a little bit funny at the same time. Oh, you said we were going to a place Walt Disney built. No, Peter, I said supported. Don't go on the train ride. I mean, all the good comedians and jokers tend to be a little offensive, but also funny. Yeah, but we were started talking about the idea of Walt Disney being anti-Semitic. And this is something that I feel like I definitely pushed this when we would talk about it and say, well, I've heard this and this is what happened. And he was absolutely anti-Semitic. And you would have pushed back and say, well, I don't think that's true. So I decided to do some research and I've come to a conclusion. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about why this myth began and a little bit about whether it's true or not. Yeah, I'd love to know. I mean, I think the general consensus, at least in the sphere of pop culture, is that Walt Disney was a bit of an anti-Semite, or at least grew up in an era where being anti-Semitic was just more acceptable and was just more a part of the everyday conversation. And it always made me kind of sad because, you know, we're both originally from Southern California. So we had Disneyland passes for a long time and I love Disneyland and I love showing our daughter Disney movies. So the idea that all of this kind of was started by somebody who had anti-Semitic feelings kind of always felt a little weird. I've always been a big Disney fan. My dad worked for Disney when I was young. I know yours did too. He had one of those silver passes. Have you ever heard of those? You've talked about it before. I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it's changed now, but back in the early 90s, my dad had one of these passes where he could take us into the park basically whenever we wanted. And we used to go, you know, 
go in, have dinner, ride one ride, <laughs> and leave. Yeah, like what we would do when we had passes. Yeah, and it was, I think, very informative. It was something that, you know, I always kind of grew up as Disneyland being yeah, kind we of definitely a secondary were a, safe space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would go like once a year. And then when I was in high school and performed with the band, we would actually perform in the parade and got to go backstage. So, you know. I want to make it very clear, though. I'm very much not a, I don't think either of us are like no, Disney adults. I know, I know adults. Who, I know adults that will go to Disney World multiple times a year with their family. And I'm like, you could go to Europe for a fraction of this cost. But the amount of like religious, you know, it is a cult. And we've discussed this because movement. Patrick is obsessed with cults the way that I am obsessed with World War II history. He will watch all the cult documentaries. That's true. I do. I do believe, and I, I might be misquoting, but there is some doctoral thesis basically about how Disneyland could be considered, or at least Disney culture could yeah. be considered a religion. religion. Yeah, yeah, because there's like a figure, there's pilgrimages, there are right. ritual objects. It there's there's mythology yes. stories. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, you know, right and wrong, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do... Though I feel like what we what do we say now? All the the villains in the Disney movies recently are generational trauma. Uh, generational yeah. trauma, or, is the or like you're like fa- or your parents yeah. just. Being neglectful. Yeah, right? it's generational trauma <laughs> is the Disney villain instead of an evil queen. But anyways, getting back on the subject. So so is Walt Disney an anti-Semite? And why, why do we have that perception of him? So all of this goes back to my favorite subject, World War II history. So apparently the first accusations of anti-Semitism started because Disney gave a tour of the studio to Nazi propagandist Lenny Riefenstahl a month after Kristallnacht. So Lenny Riefenstahl was the director of Triumph of Will, which is like the ultimate Nazi propaganda film. And it covered the 1934 Nazi Party Congress in Nuremberg. I think it was on Netflix for a short yeah. while. You could you could actually yeah. watch it. And, it's, and I'm taking a class next semester, which is about political film. And it's the first time that we are going to talk about. So I'm interested to kind of delve into that. But it's she is like the super Nazi propaganda filmmaker. She also did Olympia, which is a documentary about the 1936 Berlin Summer Olympics. And apparently, this is this was also on Netflix, Capra's Why We Fight was directly inspired by Triumph of Will. So I, you'll definitely be able to find that if you're interested. Now, just kind of jumping into like her a little bit, you know, it's I just find it really interesting that she was one of Hitler's premier propaganda directors because she was a woman. If you're not familiar with kind of Nazi ideology, a woman's role is to be a mother and a homemaker and have lots of Aryan children. So the idea that a woman was being a director and being a Nazi director, I think was kind of interesting in general. Actually, I don't think I ever realized it was a woman. It is a woman. She was an yeah. act. She, I did. I did. I looked at her Wikipedia page. She was an actress And I guess her father was very much like against that, but her mother kind of pushed it. And then she decided to start directing. And fun fact, apparently the film she made after she was quote unquote done making Nazi films, the, it was like some story that had, that had a lot of extras and they used some Romani from a concentration camp as the extras and they died in Auschwitz. Jeez. It it, like, this is during the war? This is during the war. Wow. So like she basically, I'm sure somehow kind of got permission from the higher ups to use Romani from concentration camps as extras. And then after the movie, they were sent to Auschwitz and killed. To literally just like, yeah. just pull them out. Yeah. Like, like pull them out and use them as extras, Wow, which is kind of crazy. 
but we're not talking about her. So three months after this, Disney disavowed this. He's saying he was unaware who she was when he gave the invitation. So my the moral of this story is it's always a good idea to know who you're giving a tour of your business to. That's fair. I think... I mean, let's be honest. Fascism giving... was very popular in the 30s, yeah. and I understand that. But well, why would he have been giving a, a tour to this woman to begin with? I That's get, what I was about this all goes. This all gets back to money. So... It suggested that Riefenstahl's visit was likely financially motivated because Disney wanted to recover about 135,000 Reichmarks, 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 I don't know how you say that. I think it's Reichmarks. Reichmarks owed from his German film distributor and to get the ban on Disney films lifted in Germany because at this time, for whatever reason, Disney films were banned. So it's weird to me that they were banned because we know that Hitler loved Snow White and he considered it one of the best films ever made. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, like, I Snow mean, White's was, a German yeah, fairy tale. It so. was very innovative, too. And I was thinking about Hitler and Snow White. And apparently there is a Norwegian museum director who said he found a drawing of Snow White characters as well as Pinocchio that were signed by an A.H., he, ha- he bought like a bunch of art from a German auction house and they're dated in the 1940s. So he believes they were actually drawn by Hitler. So as we know, Hitler, the infamous artist. In the, in the style of Disney? Yeah, in the style of Disney. So he was like copying Pinocchio and Snow White and signing it as an artist. Wow. But he can't prove it because it's not doesn't say it off Hitler, just says right. age. But the timing is right, and it's a little convenient. That's like in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They the, have the, the, the Hitler The dog. Hitler painting, of the, the, Hitler painting yeah. of the German Shepherd. Yes, yes. <laughs> so kind of going back to the money, like there, I, there's a book I read a while ago. It's about the American ambassador to Nazi Germany, William Dodd. It's called In the Garden of the Beast. It's by Eric Larson. I highly recommend it. And they talked a lot about how America wanted to play nice with Germany since Germany owed them so much money. And it's one of the reasons we weren't kind of disavowing Nazi Germany in the beginning because of money. So it's possible that Walt Disney gave this tour because he was trying to play nice with the German film community to get money back and get his films unbanned. That totally makes sense. Also, you know, Walt wasn't really the money guy. His brother was. His brother was the money guy. So... I mean, his brother might have been like, hey, give this people a tour. We need to get a paycheck. But again, I think the moral of the story is like, always know who you're giving a tour to of your business. Yeah. Do some research. Historian Neil Gabler, who was the first writer to gain unrestricted access to the Disney archives, concludes that the available evidence does not support accusations of anti-Semitism. And Disney largely got that reputation due to his association with an organization called the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, which was an anti-communist organization. Mm-hmm. So this was a conser- kind of a conservative group of people involved in Hollywood. It was formed in 1944, and they had anti-Semitic undertones. So, well, a lot of communism yeah, or it, anti-communist, you know, sentiments also borderlined into well, that was the whole anti-Semitic. thing in Germany is they were the Bolshevik Jews and you know, right, all that fun stuff. I said that communism caused most of the problems of the 20th century a couple of days ago, and I stand by that statement. If you want to argue with me, you can message me on Instagram and we can talk about that. But I stand by my statement. Yeah, she, she doesn't have a Twitter to argue with. No, so, I don't. And I so won't be. And can... Threads is a cesspool. So you can message me on Instagram if you have comments on communism being the cause of most problems of the 20th century. 
you, you were going to get like all of these you know, <laughs> red. <laughs> no, messages. you know what? Whatever. I had relatives. My dad likes to always say this whenever he talks about his mom's family, that she had relatives who literally wrote for the Daily Worker. They were like real communists. Yeah, so yeah. like, I'm not saying that like, I don't have... I don't have connections to that. I'm just saying, I think in general, communism caused most of the problems of the 20th century. I mean, we would be in a very different world if, you know, Marx never wrote the manifesto. So, yeah. So kind of going, going back to Walt Disney, Gabler says that though Walt himself, in my estimation, was not anti-Semitic, nevertheless, he willingly allied himself with people who were anti-Semitic and the reputation stuck. He was never really able to expunge this throughout his life. So there were a couple of other really famous people of the era who were members of the party, John Wayne, Clark Gable, and Ginger Rogers. Uh But some of the uh, other members were accused of being privately anti-Semitic, and in general, it kind of had a reputation of being reactionary. So it's very anti-communist, very conservative, low-key anti-Semitic. So I just wanted to kind of give a shout out to John Wayne in general and his racial insensitivity and racism um, (laughs) because he was super problematic. And he said once, I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. Oh, That's a lot. Yikes. And then he goes on to talk about Native Americans. I don't feel we did wrong in taking this great country away from them, if that's what you're asking, or so-called stealing of this country from them was just a matter of survival. There were great numbers of people who needed new land, and the Indians were selfishly trying to keep it for themselves. Ooh. Yikes. So this kind of reminds me of that idea of Germany needing living space. I don't remember the name of it. And I think in German, off the top of my head, I should know this. But the idea that they need a more living space, and it's why they kept going east and setting free these racial Germans who were living in places like the Sudetenland and Poland. So this kind of rings true of that. We had people who needed a place to live and we took it away. Well, I mean, there's very much... Uh, in America, the idea of manifest destiny yeah. of the country stretching from coast to coast. Yeah. And it's a very 19th century I know. belief system. That, John, John Wayne was saying this. I think it, this was an interview in the 1970s. No, of course. I, I'm saying it's a 19th century yeah, belief idea system that, that we needed formed, the land that formed what America's not just domestic policies, but foreign policies yeah. would become until today. And you know, I think that's one of the reasons Hitler modeled a lot of his racial laws out of American ideals and American laws that were meant to, you know, strike down the others. Yeah. yeah discriminate against. We're looking at you, Jim Crow. Yeah. Um, other people are, you know, <laughs> we'll, minorities. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So Clark Gable, on the other hand, I know was very supportive of the rights of black actors on Gone with the Wind. I believe the story is that they had segregated bathrooms and that he demanded that they got rid of them. And he actually was very close to Hattie McDaniel, who won the Oscar for playing Mammy. So clearly he just hated communists and he wasn't actually really racist. Maybe. That that scans. I mean, or at least he was as accepting as 
a white successful man in Hollywood could be in the yeah. 1930s and 40s. But I think it's nice of him to want the black actors on set to be comfortable. It's just kind of weird to be like, I'm not racist in this way, but screw the communists. But I guess we don't, we're not old enough to remember how scary communism was to America for a long time. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I was three years old when the Berlin Wall fell. So it wasn't really a thing. Well, not the same way. No. I think throughout the 90s, there were still... A little bit. Russian villains and other things They're in back again. Oh, they are back again. So yeah. are the Nazis. It's like we're getting to relive the 20th century over again with our villains. I do enjoy the Indiana Jones movies where he fights Nazis more than the ones where he doesn't. Nazis are the perfect villain. Yeah. So going back to Walt Disney... Gabler continues, Walt, in joining forces with the MPA and its band of professional reactionaries and red baiters, also got tarred with their anti-Semitism. Walt Disney certainly was aware of the MPA's purported anti-Semitism, but he chose to ignore it. The price he paid was that he would always be lumped not only with anti-communists, but also anti-Semites. So this brought this quote that I remember reading. Actually, it was an interview with Sasha Baron Cohen about things that are going on in Israel right now. Ian Kershaw, an English historian who focuses on 20th century Germany, points out the road to Auschwitz was built by hate, but paved with indifference. So associating with people and being indifferent to their racism does not make you necessarily innocent. So I don't necessarily think that Walt Disney himself was anti-Semitic, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. But surrounding yourself with people who are or benefiting from from, anti-Semitism or racism or any sort of it's not a good look. It's not a good look. And I think he tried to amend that in some way later on in his life. He did distance himself from the MPA and had no involvement after 1947. But again, he was never really able. Well, that seems early though, too. Well, that right? was, it would have been that if he was a, ma- a member when it was first founded, it only would have been three years. So yeah. that makes sense. But it also it kind of reminded me a little bit of like, remember how Lucille Ball had to go to the McCarthy hearings because she was a registered communist and the kind of thing that like, Anything you do politically kind of stays with you and you have to be careful about that. Yeah. She was married to a Cuban man. I know. <laughs> well, if I remember was... correctly, she registered as a communist because her grandfather did. And she it was like as a way of respect. And I don't think right. she necessarily knew what she was she, doing. She wasn't attending the meetings. Yeah. The joke was is the only thing that's uh, read about Lucy is her hair. And even that's not real. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So were these allegations true? I do not think they were in the research that I've done. It's kind of indicated that it was that being associated with the MPA. So Disney was actively involved in production of military training films with the U.S. government, and they contained highly classified information and required the highest level of security clearance. So any previous sympathies towards Nazi Germany that he would have had would have disqualified him from making these films. Mm -hmm. So we know that the U.S. government at least determined he had no sympathy with the Nazis. Mm -hmm. So the Riefenstahl visit was clearly just about money. Well, aren't there also those Donald Duck cartoons yeah. that make he, fun like, of Nazism yeah, 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 yeah. and Hitler and all that? Yeah. yeah, those are you can you can YouTube those. Those are really funny. He has like a nightmare that he he's basically working in in like a German factory, I think. Yeah, I, it's been a long time since yeah. I've seen them, but uh, I I distinctly remember the Donald yeah. Duck kind of making fun, fun of, of the, the Nazis. Whole thing. Well, that yeah. was very popular at that time. During editing, I came across a video of Leonard Malton very eloquently 
explaining the Donald Duck Nazi uh, movie. Uh, it apparently won an Academy Award, uh, but I'll let him explain it since he's the expert. In time of war, it's typical, sometimes even useful, to demonize your enemy. We still see this today, whenever a dictator or despot comes to power anywhere in the world. Caricatures and jokes, not always in the best of taste, rise to the forefront because it's our way of relieving aggression. So it was in World War II. Some people feared Adolf Hitler. Others mocked him. The Disney staff came up with the idea for a cartoon to be titled Donald Duck in Nazi-Land giving the all-American duck a nightmare that he was living in a country run by Nazis. The title changed when a song written for the cartoon by Oliver Wallace became a runaway hit and a now classic recording by Spike Jones. It then became essential to change the name of the cartoon to Defuhrer's Face. It's easy to see why the film was so popular. It's very, very funny. Reducing the serious tenets of Hitler's Nazism to slapstick absurdities. And it gave audiences a chance to think as Donald does, about the freedoms they might have taken for granted. Am I glad to be a citizen of the United States of America? Defuhrer's Face, directed by Jack Kinney, won the Academy Award as Best Animated Short Subject of 1943. In Defuhrer's Face, the is the master race. The higher, higher, right in the poorest face. Not to love the poorer is a great disgrace. So the higher, higher, right in the poorest face. Then Herr Gerbel says, we own the world in space. The higher, higher, right in Herr Gerbel's face. Then Hulk Goring says, they'll never bomb this place. The higher, higher, right in Herr Goring's face. Is he not the Superman? Disney donated regularly to Jewish charities and was named 1955 Man of the Year by the B'nai B'rith chapter of Beverly Hills, which is a Jewish social and volunteer organization. And the organization itself said they found no evidence of anti-Semitism on Disney's part. And they gave him a plaque which read, for exemplifying the best tenets of American citizenship and intergroup understanding and interpreting into action the ideals of B'nai B'rith. So this kind of reminds me a little bit about how Arnold Schwarzenegger is very active in a Holocaust and anti-Semitism education. He's very involved in Museum of Tolerance because he, he had a father who was basically a Nazi. He was a Nazi. Yeah, he was I a believe. Nazi. Yeah. Um, so kind of, I mean, this is different because it was him who was accused of this. I think this was Disney's way of trying to amend any sort of rumors about him being anti-Semitic, but I was unaware that he actually would have donated to these groups. And it wasn't just B'nai B'rith. So he, uh, Gabler, that same historian, revealed that Disney frequently made unpublicized donations to various Jewish charities, including Jewish orphanages, Jewish old age home, Yeshiva College, which is now Yeshiva University here in New York, and the American League for a Free Palestine. So this would have been a Zionist group at the time. Mm. So I, again, I think, you know, these rumors would have started very early on and everybody was very hypersensitive after World War II for obvious reasons. So I think this might have been his way of trying to amend that. Mm -hmm. 
And as far as people who worked for the company and what they said about him, Disney had numerous Jewish employees, many of whom were in influential positions. And none of Disney's employees on record, including an animator named Art Babbitt, who apparently really hated Disney, which is weird, like working for a man you hate. I don't know. People do it all the time, well, I, I guess. I'm curious why he hated them. I, I tried mean, to look into this. There's no information. It's just kind of like an aside. It's like, who disliked Disney intensely? This guy but even said he never accused him of making anti-Semitic slurs or taunts. And there was a story man named Joe Grant who's really interesting. If you want to Google Joe Grant, he basically created a lot of the characters we grew up with as well as a lot of the original characters. He worked closely with Disney in the 30s and 40s and said, as far as I'm concerned, there was no evidence of anti-Semitism. I think the whole idea should be put to rest and buried deep. He was not anti-Semitic. Some of the most influential people in the studio were Jewish. It's much ado about nothing. I never once had a problem with him in that way. And he once joked that Disney's New York office had more Jews than the Book of Leviticus, <laughs> which I think is That's a fun little, fun little sound yeah. bite. There's another screenwriter who worked for a little bit on Song of the South, who, which we are going to talk about, named Maurice Rapp, who said Disney was not anti-Semitic. He was just kind of a very conservative guy. He was from Missouri. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was a Midwest. Born in the early, early 20th century. He might as well have been in the music band. I yeah, mean, he, that is basically the world the he grew up Well, in. that's what it feels like when you walk into Main Street USA. Not the one at Walt Disney World, because it's different. But the different. one at Disneyland, it's very Music Man. And they play Music Man music, too, which is fun. And Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. And Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly. Dolly. Yeah. They play the, the musicals, which I always love. Mm-hmm. Kind of thinking back to, like, the generation of my great aunt and uncle. They grew up much later. Like, they came up in there in the 50s. But there's, like, a certain kind of attitude I think people had that people leaned more conservative and traditional. And I, you know, you think very traditional America family when you think of Walt Disney and that's how he presented himself. So it makes sense that he would be a more conservative leaning person, but that definitely doesn't make him an anti-Semite. Also being a conservative. It's changed. Back in it's been ve- it's the changed. 1930s, 40s and 50s is a very different thing than being a conservative, being conservative, conservative today. today. No, you I know, agree. Sense of political party solidification, which really didn't happen until well L- into the 60s. And Lyndon Johnson. There, there was a lot more fluid uh, movement amongst the idea of liberal conservative back then than there, there is There wasn't today. like a this side and that side. Yeah. Um, people, At least not as much. Not as not. <laughs> we are as divided as the Civil War right now. I keep yeah. reading articles about it. <laughs> Uh, someone else, a man named Douglas Broad, who is the author of a book, which sounds very interesting, Multiculturalism and the Mouse, Race and Sex in Disney Entertainment. In my free time, I'll pick that up after I'm done reading all those World War II books you just got me. Yeah. So he says that this is my fun fact that I, I love this fact that Disney used more Jewish actors than any other studio of Hollywood's golden age, including those run by Jewish movie moguls. So... Obviously, if he didn't like Jews, he wouldn't have contracted Jewish actors. At least Jewish actors to the degree that he did. No. Yeah. You know, you would assume that these big, famously Jewish movie moguls would be employing Jews, but not necessarily the case. Right. Moving on to talking about the Sherman brothers, who we love because our daughter loves all those movies. Robert Sherman recalled that when one of Disney's lawyers made anti-Semitic remarks towards him and his brother, Richard, Disney defended them and fired the attorney. So I think this actually shows a lot of 
character because I think back to like what I talked about in the first episode about someone saying something anti-Semitic to me and no one doing anything. So obviously this is somebody who worked for him. Instead of just not doing anything or even standing up for them, he fired this person. So obviously he had no tolerance for that kind of hateful rhetoric in the workplace. Yeah. I if you don't if you're not familiar with the Sherman brothers or their extensive musical library some of the big hits are Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, <laughs> one of our they, daughter's favorites, The Happiest Millionaire. They wrote It's a Small World, which is apparently the most played song of all time. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. There's so much that we share and it's time we're aware. It's a small world after all. What's bothering me? I want to be a man, man cop. Fortuosity, that's me by word. Fortuosity, me a twinkle in the eye word. Sometimes castles fall to the ground. But that's where four-leaf clovers are found. Fortuosity. Something quite atrocious If you say it loud enough You'll always sound precocious 
And then we have his daughter, Diane Disney Miller, who said her sister Sharon dated a Jewish boyfriend for a period of time, to which her father raised no objections and even reportedly said, Sharon, I think it's wonderful how these Jewish families have accepted you. So again, I don't think if you hated Jews or didn't like Jews, you would allow, not like allow, like you would in, you encourage would encourage or, or you know, support. support your children dating somebody Jewish. Mm-hmm. So we've decided that he's not anti-Semitic, but is Walt Disney... Or at least casually. At least and, you, know, you know, yeah. casually um, anti-Semitism. Is he a racist? And we can't talk about Disney and racism without mentioning Song of the South. So Song of the South... Well, I, uh, let's preface this with, I had never... I, I was very familiar with Song of the mm-hmm. South, I had never, until we were talking about doing yeah. this episode and kind of going this route, I had never actually seen Song of the South, nor uh, was it ever available, I think, in our lifetime. No. I think by the time we were able to buy movies... VHS mov- tapes? We're dating ourselves? Maybe. I think there was a VHS there release There was a VHS release, but it's been like burned it's one of those things that like you can't find yeah it's one of those things that's been banned i think if you order it you have to order it internationally yeah did it sell in the u.s it's it's one of those movies that is almost impossible at least to own i was able to find at least most of the film online in small clips yeah on um, youtube on youtube and other things i was fascinated watching watching it because well, let me talk a little bit sure. about what it is first, and then yeah. I want to kind of go through the, the plot yeah, of the sure. movie. Sure. So Song of the South has been criticized by contemporary critics and the NAACP as a, and a lot of other people for its uh, portrayal of black stereotypes. So Song of the South is a live-action Disney movie that has animated clips in it, so a little bit like Mary Poppins where there will be animated and then there's people in the animation. So like from a production standpoint, it's actually pretty impressive for the time. It's live action into animation back into live action and crossover into both, which was a very Disney way of filming things. Yeah. Yeah. So song of the South starts with a little boy who's played by Bobby Driscoll, who would go on to voice Peter Pan. And I think he lived, he died and they put him in like a potter's field somewhere. Don't ask me why I know that. That's horribly sad. It's terribly sad. So he's a little boy and he's with his white parents and Hattie McDaniel is clearly some side of nurse. She's basically playing Mammy from Gone with the Wind. But this was several years after she'd won an Oscar. So she's just kind of playing the same part. Identically the same part. Like the the outfit looks the same, the handkerchief, the whole thing. Well, that was what kind of took me aback watching the movie even though it's a banned, quote unquote, banned film that yeah. you can't buy anymore, you can't really find it. Watching it, I didn't see anything in the movie that was more offensive than something like Gone, Gone with, with the, the Wind. Wind or other movies depicting this mythical South, <laughs> I, either pre or post Civil War. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a Disney film and it's supposed to be for kids. I, I agree with that. And it's also, it came out, what, a decade after Gone with the Wind? 1949. 
So, a decade. Yeah, it was a decade after Gone with the Wind. Yeah, so it came out a decade after Gone with the Wind. So, so we're so we're watching this kind of opening carriage scene, and I'm I'm trying to figure out when this takes place. So I Google it, and it's supposed to be right after the Civil War. So so we're talking 1870s. Yeah. So and that's very important to this. So the little boy and the mother stay with the grandmother, and the father has to like leave for some reason. I'm not sure why. They never explain. It's he works for a newspaper. In yeah, Atlanta. he's like a newspaper writer, and he's like, I have to leave. So. Basically, he's kind of assigned a little boy to play with who is black. They're like, take care of him. So he's got like this guard person who's like supposed to keep an eye on him, but be his friend at the same time. Yeah, they're about the same age. Yeah. He's clearly living on the property. Yeah. Like in the house. In the house or in the, you know. In the little the little shanty town that they show later. Right. And... He's meant to entertain the wealthy white child that yeah. has come to live in, yeah. the, in the house with the grandma. Yeah. So there is a, again, I can't say slave because this is right after the Civil War. There is a gentleman named Uncle Remus who is a storyteller and it's a very big deal to listen to his stories. So basically they're sneaking off to listen to Uncle Remus and he tells these these folk tales, and that's where it kind of jumps into the animation. With Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear. Who are themselves ridiculous stereotypes of black people. Yes. Like, it's very obviously I mean, racist. Very minstrel show Yeah, for sure. For sure. And though the Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit and those stories come from old African folk tale. Yeah. Uh, and I believe old poems that were written kind of around that same era. Yeah. I mean, it's their legitimate history, but the way that they're being portrayed is very racist. Absolutely. So throughout the course of this, the little boy also makes friends with like the poor white trash family. And these two boys are like going to drown a puppy for some reason. And their sister gives him the puppy. And we were horrified they were going to drown a puppy. <laughs> we're like, this is a kid's movie. Well, yeah, I, I guess the puppy's the runt, but yeah. at the same time, it, it looks like a full grown puppy. Like it yeah. doesn't need to nurse anymore. So it seems like they just needed to like, these kids wanted to drown a puppy for no reason. Yeah. yeah. So he makes friends with his sister and he eventually has a birthday party. And for some reason he's not allowed to see uncle Remus anymore. And then he ends up like running after somebody has to go through a field that has the bull in it. Well, Remus is leaving. Yeah. Remus is leaving. So he because, tries to, be because the mother wanted him to return the puppy and he gave it to uncle Remus instead. Mm, and I, yes. the, the boys came and snitched to the mother and the mother Got, in retaliation said, uncle Remus has un to leave. Uncle Remus has needs to leave. to leave because he's a bad influence on these stories or a bad influence on you. So as he's leaving, oh yeah, he, he runs, runs across the field, the field and there's the bull. a bull and he gets attacked by the bull. And this part was not on YouTube. I had to look on Wikipedia that he he's very sick, but Uncle Remus comes and tells him a story and he magically gets better. And then it cuts to him and the little girl and the boy he was kind of assigned to and they're singing zippity doo dah walking like barefoot around a field and then the animated characters roll in too. Well, then Br'er Rabbit comes and yeah. interacts and even Uncle Remus is like taken aback that Br'er Rabbit's actually shown up. Yeah. 
In addition to this, there are scenes where they show what would have probably been during prior to the Civil War, like slave quarters and people, you know, cooking and just being all sorts of happy and singing and dancing and well, living their best lives. Yeah, Reconstruction South was, you know, a lot of uh, former slaves basically were turned into you know, indentured servants and slaves all over again, all in but name, you know, for numerous reasons. But that shows them being so happy. It reminds me of that. Well, and that is the myth of the South, right? That's what Uncle Remus said. That's what Uncle Remus said. Listen now to what I say. That's how the critters got them way. The leopard family got the go from eating to my speckled child. That's how the leopard got his spots. That's what Uncle Remus said. That's what Uncle Remus said. Spank old child and polka dots. That's how the leopard old got Old Red Possum got a trick. How come he gets so fake? When trouble come along, he play like that. Now who wants to live like that? Well, I do, I sure do. I can't see nothing wrong. While other folks is worried, I'm sleeping all day long. Well, I do, I sure do. It's funny, but it's true. That's what I am so positive I literally wants to do. Sooner or later, you're gonna be hanging around. And won't my 
Reminds me of that guy when we were in Colonial Williamsburg, that tour guide. Yeah. Nicole took me to Colonial Williamsburg for my birthday. I, I very much enjoy colonial American history. And we were walking around. And of course, we own our own tour company. So we're highly aware when other tour groups are walking around and listening to what other tour guides are saying and how they deliver history and information. And this older tour guide was giving a tour to older people as well. Clearly a bus tour. Yeah. That was uh, and they were pulled through. From the South. They were from the South, uh, based on the dialects that they were, you know, how they were speaking. And the town lives perpetually in, I believe it's 1772. Uh, or 1773. It's one of those two years. Uh, but it's kind of right before the American, American Revolution. Revolution breaks out. And the town population of that era was around 50% white people and 50% black slaves. So when he was going into a conversation talking about what the other 50% of the population of this town was living like, he basically goes into the Old South Ugh. kind of history book rhetoric yeah. of these people got fed three meals a day. They got Sundays off. They were taught to read the Bible. They enjoyed being slaves. The whole argument is always like they got all these great things, but they were slaves. Yeah. It doesn't really matter how great your life is if you don't you don't have any autonomy of any kind. I have a distinct memory. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know why. But I was in eighth grade, and I had a really great eighth grade history teacher. You talk about this person a lot. We have to track him down. Uh, I think he's actually passed away. Oh, no. Yeah. I think I remember reading like an article that he passed away. But uh, I still, I, honestly, he was an amazing teacher. I don't necessarily, in hindsight, agree with all of his takes on what that history that he taught us was. And one of the things I very distinctly remember in class, he made it a point to say that the Civil War was not caused by slavery. This was a big thing in the 90s, yeah, I remember. because he, he wanted... It was about money and states' rights. Well, states' rights, but he wanted us to say, at least on a test, you know, that we had to take, that the Civil War was caused because of the secession of the states from the Union. I mean, that's what started the Civil true. War. Like, I mean, that's literally that is the reason it started. The literal reason the war happened is because the states left the Union. But... The reason they left is because of slavery. slavery. So, of course, as a 12-year-old or however old you are in eighth grade, you know, you're not going to have... 13. You're 13 in eighth grade because you have your bar and bat mitzvah in seventh grade. Yeah, there you go. So you're 13 or 14 in eighth grade. So 13, you're 13, 14 years old. You clearly don't have the knowledge or the wherewithal or the ability to have a argument or yeah, at you're least not gonna a argue with your debate. teacher unless you're me because I would do that frequently with my teachers. Uh, you know, if I knew enough about a subject, I probably would too. But at least at 
13 or 14, however old I was when the, when I was in this class, I didn't have the yeah. core knowledge of Civil War con- Reconstruction America. Well, how dare you? Do you have like a <laughs> you debate? You mean you weren't a doctoral level student when you were 14 about Reconstruction America? Well, of course. And I think that's really the problem with the American education system. You have a lot of teachers teaching these subjects from these either points of view or political points of view to a bunch of kids who don't have the ability or the strength to be able to um, probably question or argue maybe a different point of view when it comes to some of this stuff. But I I just have a real distinct memory of him being like, well, it wasn't slavery. This is not why we fought the Civil War. And it just feels really... No, I get it. I remember I was kind of taught the same thing, that it was more about money and states' rights, but it was because of slavery. Well, but yeah, states' rights to own slaves. Cor- correct, <laughs> like, correct. Because so people you wanted- can't ever get away from the whole thing about slavery, mm-hmm. you know, within the argument of the Civil War. So let's go back to what we were originally talking about. So was he a racist, you know, if he was an anti-Semite? So was he a racist? So during filming of Song of the South, Disney became close friends with the actor who played Uncle Remus, James Basket, describing him in a letter to his sister Ruth as the best actor, I believe, to be discovered in years. They stayed in contact long after the film's production was over, with Walt even sending him gifts. When Basket was in poor health, Disney not only began financially supporting him and his family, but also campaigned successfully for him to win an honorary Academy Award for his performance, making him the first black actor who was honored this way. Basket died shortly after receiving his Oscar and his widow wrote Disney a letter of gratitude for his support, claiming he had been a friend indeed and we certainly have been in need. So I don't think this sounds like someone who's racist. However, I want to go back to like the idea of well, I'm not racist. My best friend is black or my attorney is Jewish. This is something that, you know, I mentioned that the Nazis all had like the Nazis had their Jew. So I don't think it necessarily says that he wasn't racist because he was friends with this specific black person. But I think going out of your way to support him and his family financially, you know, if you have some sort of disdain for people who aren't white, you're not going to do that. Yeah, I I think it was... Look, you can't watch a Disney movie that was produced before probably 1975 that doesn't have racist some stuff. sort of racist. Dumbo, we're looking thing at you, it. Dumbo. My my sister always likes to point out. Of course, Dumbo. You know, uh, of course, Song of the South, Lady of, and the Tramp, Lady and the Tramp with the Siamese cats. <laughs> you know, you have all of these tropes of not just black people, but Asian people, Mexican people, you know, yeah. uh, different groups all being at least pushed to a certain type of stereotype to the forefront. And part of that was just American entertainment. That is what was popular. Was Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney racist because they did blackface in a couple of movies? I think there there might be an argument for yes. There might be an argument for argument for no. I, don't I think know. it's important to have these conversations. I remember watching kind of a short TCM does these like short things between the movies, which I absolutely love. And it, there was a black film historian talking about the history of blackface and why TCM chooses not to take it out mm-hmm. because they want to acknowledge that this is something that happened, but also learn from it to show why it's not acceptable anymore. Because if you erase that bad history, 
we don't have anything to learn from. Well, right, of course. Which I think is appropriate. Well, then you get historians walking around saying how much they loved it and how happy it was and they got Sundays off. I know. You got to be you got to you got to show that the bad stuff happened. Mhm. So, going back to Gabler, the historian says Walt Disney was no racist. He never either publicly or privately made disparaging remarks about blacks or asserted white authority. Now, this is what I think is really important, especially talking about people of the time. Like most white Americans of his generation, however, he was racially insensitive. And I really like that phrase because it really encapsulates, I think, white men and women of the early 20th century. It's they weren't necessarily racist, but they were racially insensitive and would say things like oriental rug, you know, things that we don't say now. You know, I think it was just you don't need to say what I think you're going to say. Um, but I'm not going to say that, but I'm, <laughs> uh, I mean. But I like the term racially insensitive. Yeah. Because I think it acknowledges that there was a time when people were insensitive about racism, but they weren't racism racist themselves. Right. I Well, I think if if you could put things like racist tropes or things on a scale, yeah. you know, and. Nazi or Ku Klux Klan member is on one end of the scale and Rachel Dozel's on the other end. I feel yeah, I, like you have a definitely levels of yeah. insensitive, you know, insensitive speech or insensitive thoughts, and but they aren't necessarily superiority. Thoughts, yeah, no, there's right? there's a difference, and I but that's I but really then like again, that. You phrase. get into that argument with what is our systematic structures in our society that build up white supremacy that creates these kind of institutions that we live in right now yeah. that people are benefiting from these institutions the way that they're built yeah so that already you might not be racist but you're definitely benefiting from, from a structure of yeah. racism right so you know one thing i think that if you can't find song of the south or you don't want to watch it or you're concerned about being offended by it. If you've been on the ride at either Disneyland or Disney World, and I don't know if it's at any of their parks. At least in the iteration. Well, I know they it's now closed at Disneyland. Yeah, and at Disney World. So if you've been on Splash Mountain, which opened in the early 90s, I remember... Do you remember... Who, who was that guy? Ern, er, Ern, er, Ernest. Ernest. Ernest went on Splash Mountain. Yeah, they did a whole Google special this. when they were opening it yeah. where Ernest was the like... Dummy, I know, <laughs> like, like test <laughs> test rider. I remember this to go and ride the thing. Oh, to be a millennial. So he was apparently like a Shakespearean actor. You know, like good for him. <laughs> good for him. He played Slinky Dog, which we love. That's true. He played Slinky Dog. He was Ernest. He saved Christmas. Yeah, that was one of the movies, right? I think I don't. I never really watched Nobody, the Ernest I don't know does who whatever did. movies. <laughs> Anyways, I always remember seeing them in Blockbuster though. They, I never they were like, watched any of that. There were always like thirty VHS tapes of an Ernest movie <laughs> that nobody was watching. Well, clearly they were making them for somebody. It was not. That seems us. like a weird deep like rabbit hole to fall down to watch all the Ernest. I don't movies. have time for that. I have. I mean, I'm going back to school, Patrick. I don't have time for that. Out of everything that Netflix and Hulu and all those like they streaming services have, I have not seen one Ernest there, movie. It might, it might be a licensing thing. Um, so anyway, so Splash Mountain, which opened in the early 90s with Ernest as the dummy, is based off of Song of the South. 
So it's not actually the racist former slave part, but it's the Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Br'er Bear. Br'er Bear. Uh, so it tells the story, and you've heard these songs, and the most famous one being Zippity Doo Dah. Yeah. Yeah. So the most famous song being Zippity Doo Dah, and I just looked it up that Splash Mountain is still at Tokyo Disneyland in Japan. Oh, okay. It's not at Disney World or Magic Kingdom anymore because I want to say like maybe five or six years ago, people started a petition because they were like, "This is racist, so we have to get rid of it." So they got rid of Splash Mountain last year, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I read somewhere that people were going on the ride and taking water from the ride and selling it on eBay. (laughs) Out of all the things to save on that ride, I don't know if the water. Well, no, because if you were on the ride, like you couldn't take pieces with you. Like it, it was like guests going with like a jar. And taking water from the ride. Taking the green Taking the chlorine green water. chlorine water and selling it on eBay. Yikes. So it was a beloved ride. And apparently what they're doing with it to, I guess, in some way, make amends for the racism of the ride, um, even though it was just the animal part. The, the, well, I mean, in, admittedly, the animal part is also now, steeped in having, racism. Here, having watched the movie now, I would agree with that. Like, I remember being like, I don't understand why it's racist. But like having seen the movie now, I'm like, okay, this makes sense because they're minstrel characters. Yeah. So they are turning into, I think it's still a log flume, but it's going to be Princess Tiana themed. Yeah. So it'll be like like, like New a, Orleans. The New Orleans themed yeah. thing. I, I don't know how you put in the drop part. You'll have to tell me because maybe, I won't be going on it. Maybe it's maybe it's going to be the... Um, the Great Depression? <laughs> that is how I felt after the I saw that movie. The stock market was like the stock market crashing. We got this great restaurant, and then five years later, the depression. Starts. I remember you said that. So the, um, the drop was going to be the stock market crash. Yeah, right. No, it's going to be uh, what's his name? The the villain, the voodoo, the guy. voodoo character. Yeah. maybe getting pulled down into hell. Maybe, after, maybe. you'll have to tell me because I will not be going on that. Ride. Yeah, I don't do those rides. I got you on once. It's true. <laughs> I went on a one time and it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. We have a picture. We it's, do. It's, it's great. <laughs> you should post it on your I'll post Instagram. It on my Instagram. <laughs> yeah. It was good times. So we were just talking about, are there any anti-Semitic depictions of characters in Disney films? Because we obviously have racism against black people showing up in films like Dumbo and Song of the South. So we did a little research and apparently in the 1932 cartoon, The Three Little Pigs, which we all know the story of that, the big bad wolf, he disguises himself as a Jewish peddler. Now, I have never seen this cartoon, but I know the story of The Three Little Pigs. I'm pretty sure. I've seen it, but I I was probably seven Not this version. Not when it came out, but when I saw it. So when it came out, you look pretty good for you. I mean, I have a good cream. Regiment. <laughs> to tell me about that. Yeah. So we Google imaged this and the image was changed. I, I think it's what, 16 years after the original film? Well, I mean, if you look at the years, the original movie came out in 32. Then they did a revised animation version in 48. So you can Google image this just like we did. And the original version looks like an anti-Semitic advertisement out of magazines like Destromer, which is the the Stormer, the Stormtrooper. It was uh, 
a really anti-Semitic magazine or newspaper that was in Nazi Germany. So it's pretty, I would say this is pretty anti-Semitic, actually. Well, I mean, look, it, it, he's got a giant, giant nose. nose. He looks like Gonzo from the, from the Muppets. Yeah, I mean. And like, he's wearing glasses and he's got like, he's going like. He's got a beard. And he's got like, it, it's that, I mean, it's a hat, but it looks like a skull cap. He, he's wearing what looks like a small yarmulke with a bill on it. Yeah. Yeah. And he he's fat and he's kind of going, and he has <laughs> like, you know, you can just hear the noise that he's making. Right. I just, it's so weird that. Well, his shoulders are shrugged yeah. and his hands are out like, like he's, he's asking a question. Yeah. No, this is like legitimate, like looks like Nazi propaganda. I, if you had shown this to me, I would say, oh, this is absolutely something that would have been in Nazi Germany. I just want to know why the Big Bad Wolf wanted to be a Jewish peddler. Like, why is that? Why is that? I mean, maybe we'll have to try to find the original. We'll have to try to find the original version to watch it. Yeah. Um, clearly, there was, you know, talk. some pushback, some pushback, either pushback or, you know, hey, look, the Holocaust affected a lot of people's opinions on, on anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism and its depictions in media and entertainment. And maybe they saw this and went, hey, we should revise it. And so clearly they did a new version where he's of just the three a wolf pigs. with some like granny glasses on and yeah I mean, that's it, it. <laughs> the, the the revision is basically whatever mask or thing he's wearing over his head for this costume in the in the original one it, it now just looks like the wolf's face with some glasses um and a little hat nothing He's in, nothing nothing that looks overtly anti-semitic <laughs> but this is pretty problematic i it makes I mean, I guess because Song of the South wasn't an animated thing, they like the whole thing, they couldn't just going to go back and fix it like they did with this. Well, I don't think, I mean, there's no way <laughs> no, they you couldn't can fix it. They had to change the entire movie. Well, also, I don't think, it's, it's a cartoon about the three little pigs. This was clearly some gag or bit within it, not the core story it wasn't yeah. about the wolf being a jewish peddler you know? i mean maybe that's his villain villain origin story that nobody wanted to buy his his goods because his little brushes his little brush he's got his brushes i don't know what yeah he's wearing a it looks like a like over around his neck with a rope a board and attached to the board are these uh looks brushes. like brushes and he's a scrubbers. peddler yeah Oh my God, this is so. So he's like a door to door really salesman trying to sell brushes. He's got like a brushes. big beard. It's so. This is terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. That one's pretty bad. We also didn't talk about Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Is, Peter Pan is very problematic because they're yeah. literally red. Like the the Native American chief is literally red. And well, did they sing a song? They sing a song called "What Makes a Red Man Red." Yes, what makes the red man red? Other than Tiger Lily. Tiger Lily is not red. No, but the other Native Americans are red. Tiger Lily is also the only girl. That's true. In the in the in the movie that lives in Neverland. That is true. Yeah. Well, Tinkerbell's a girl, but she's a fairy. Right. Well, human girl. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> Then again, I'm assuming that the they're considering the Native Americans human in Neverland. I would hope so. You know, um, other. I guess you could also count the mermaids, but I don't count. They're them not as human. humans. They're not yeah. humans. Yeah, and then you could go into, 
you know, of course, with our era of Disney films with the Disney villains. Which a lot of, I did not realize this until I spoke to somebody who's gay, that they're all gay. <laughs> well, yes, or... Uh, as as I've read online, gay coded, you know, you know characters. It's just, but I never, or queer coded I, I characters. I never realized this, and someone was like, "Oh yeah, like I definitely, as a kid, was like, yeah, that that's yeah." I was actually having a conversation with uh, someone today about this, and I think that there are times when art parallels life, but not necessarily intentionally. Do you think it's because a lot of the animators would have been queer at this time or the writers? No, I, but then again, you know, we're talking about villain characters who I think are inherently more flamboyant, flamboyant. than a villain in a story is just, I think, inherently more flamboyant than other characters yeah. in the same story. So I, I think that already lends itself to that. But... I think of this within the context of comic books. If you're reading as a straight person the Batman comic book, you're not seeing Are you talking about Batman and Robin's relationship? Yeah, if you're oh, well, yeah. especially the original from like mm-hmm. the original comic Where he was like a child? Well, yeah, and there he's his ward and yeah. they share the same bed together and they all share of the these same things. bed? They at one point shared the same bed together. They would like have sleepovers and stuff. Okay. And as a straight kid watch, reading that comic you're like, book, that's whatever. You're just like, yeah, well, they're like brothers and they're fighting crime together and dressing up in costumes and having a great time. And if you're reading it in the 1950s, 60s, you know, lead up to, you know, campy Adam West era Batman, you're probably, you're, you're reading that stuff. You're not seeing any of the homoerotic relationship there, but if you're gay and reading this stuff or queer and reading this stuff, you see all of that. And it's not necessarily wrong. You reading into that and seeing that stuff is true, but it's also true that they're not those things at the same time. I think a great quote comes from Mark Hamill when he was asked very early on if Luke Skywalker was gay. And he said, maybe he said, I think if you see him as gay, he's gay. If you see him as straight, he's straight. It's never distinctly said what he is. So if you're watching this and that's what you take away from my performance or the storyline that we're trying to tell, then great. Run with that. I think people can see a lot of things in stuff that's not necessarily, you know, created distinctively at that moment by that creator. I think the exception to that, though, is Ursula because she's clearly based off of Divine. Well, yeah, but that's because of... Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman. No, but I mean, I think they, that's the exception to that. Like, clearly, this character is supposed to be a drag queen. Yeah, they, they specifically wanted that character to look and be like that. But also, Ursula was the archetype, I think, for the modern Disney villain. It's true. It was kind of like the beginning of the new Disney Renaissance. In I think Little Mermaid was eighty nine. Yeah, when but kind I mean, of think that. of all the villains that came after Scar. You know, Hades. Jafar. Jafar. Very flamboyant. Well, yeah, and also kind of leans into that. Well, then why did Jafar want to marry Jasmine? Oh, because he wanted to be king. Well, he wanted to be the sultan. Oh, yeah. Having a lavender marriage so he can be sultan. Hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think it was because he... Because he liked Jasmine? <laughs> See, I always thought it was like because he wanted to get with Jasmine. Well, there was something a little, like, kind of, you know, dirty about the whole thing. <laughs> well, right? didn't she wear, like, a like her, her outfit turns red at one point. It's very sexy. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, she does come on to him to distract him. Yeah, I don't... I don't and he know. kind of well, plays it into didn't, it. <laughs> maybe, jo- I mean, look, maybe, maybe Jafar's... You know, bisexual. Maybe he, he just he likes both. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's just an equal opportunist when it comes to that. So, just to kind of sum up, someone who worked with Walt talking about racism, Floyd Norman, the studio's first black animator who worked closely with Disney in the fifties and sixties, said, "Not once did I observe a hint of the racist behavior Walt Disney was often accused of after his death." His treatment of people, and by this I mean all people, can only be called exemplary. So to kind of sum up what I discovered, he was not anti-Semitic. He was not racist. He was, if anything, kind of a product of his time and racially insensitive. Yeah. So you can all go I to Disney. I would say yeah. you could probably argue that was... 98% of most Americans yeah. of that era. Not right? making excuses for that, but that was, it's really, no. did we talk about this a lot? It's really hard to judge people in the past by today's social norms and what's acceptable. Because if we're looking at people in like the 1500s or the 1600s and trying to judge, you know, their actions based on 2024, and that's really weird to say now because it's 2024, you can't do that. No, you can't. I I think that is, to return this back to the opening subject of Nazism, that is what is so horrifying about things like the Holocaust. Because it was in modern times. Because it was in modern times, and Western culture should have known better, at least by that time. Yeah. And hence why it is so reprehensible and deep, dark stuff that I think takes a long time to lessen and wash away. And it's important to, I think, not just know the history unabashedly, where you don't need to sugarcoat things. You can say exactly how it happened and what happened. But in that context as well, you need to put yourself in that situation and that empathy for that. I remember hearing a sociologist say once that if you were living in Nazi Germany in the 1930s, and you think you wouldn't have been a Nazi, then you're fooling yourself. Which is scary, especially with Mm -hmm. everything that's happening right now. So my conclusion is is that you can go to Disneyland and watch Cinderella without feeling guilty that it was created by somebody who had anti-Semitic views. I am very relieved that I don't have to feel guilty about that. So this has been She Brew in the City, and I'm Nicole Kelly. And I'm Patrick Kelly. Thank you for joining us. If you liked what you listened to, please subscribe and follow me on Instagram. And I'm on TikTok now. Great. And and Patreon. And Patreon. Don't forget Patreon. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine in my way. Mr. Bluebird's on my shoulder. It's the truth. It's actual. Everything is satisfactory. Zippity-doo-dah. Zippity-ay. Wonderful feeling. Wonderful day. Yes, sir. Zippity-doo-dah. Zippity-dah.